0: CD8 The moon was high now, in a sky as black as a cup of coffee that wasn't very black at all. Its light turned the city into a network of silver lines and shadows. Once upon a time, the Tower of Art had been the center of the city, but cities tend to migrate gently with time, and Ankh-Morpork's center was now several hundred yards away. The tower still dominated the city though. "'its black shape reared against the evening sky, "'contriving to look blacker than mere shadows would suggest. "'Hardly anyone ever looked at the Tower of Art "'because it was always there. "'It was just a thing. "'People hardly ever look at familiar things. "'There was a very faint clink of metal on stone. "'For a moment, anyone close to the Tower "'and looking in exactly the right place "'might have fancied that a patch of even blacker darkness "'was slowly but inexorably moving towards the top. "'For a moment, the moonlight caught a slim metal tube.' "'slung across the figure's back. "'Then it swung into shadow again as it climbed onwards. "'The window was resolutely shut. "'But she always leaves it open,' Angua whined. "'Must have shut it tonight,' said Gaspode. "'There's a lot of strange people about.' "'But she knows about strange people,' said Angua. "'Most of them live in her house. "'You'll just have to change back to human and smash the window.' "'I can't do that. I'll be naked.' Well, you're naked now, ain't you? But I'm a wolf. That's different. I've never worn anything in my whole life. It's neither bothered me. The watch house, muttered Angua. There'll be something at the watch house. Spare chain mail, at least. A sheet or something. And the door doesn't shut properly. Come on. She trotted off along the street, with Gaspode whimpering along behind her. Someone was singing. Blimey, said Gaspode. Look at that. Four watchmen slogged past. Two dwarfs, two trolls. Angua recognised detritus. Hut, hut, hut! You, without doubt, the horriblest recruits I ever see! Pick up them feet! I never done nothing. Now you doing something for the first time in your horrible life, Lance Constable Goldface. It a man life in the watch? The squad rounded the corner. What's been going on? said Angua. Search me. I might know more if one of them stops for a whiddle. There was a small crowd around the watchhouse in Pseudopolis Yard. They seemed to be watchmen, too. Sergeant Colon was standing under a flickering lamp, scribbling on his clipboard and talking to a small man with a large moustache. And your name, mister? Silas Cumberbatch. Didn't you used to be the town crier? That's right. Right, give him his shilling. Acting Constable Cuddy, one for your squad. Who's Acting Constable Cuddy? said Cumberbatch. "'Down here, mister,' the man looked down. "'But you're a dwarf. I never—' "'Stand to attention when you're talking to a superior officer,' Cuddy bellowed. "'Ain't no dwarfs or trolls or humans in the watch, see,' said Colon. "'Just watchmen, see? "'That's what Corporal Carrot says. "'Of course, if you'd like to be in Acting Constable a squad—' "'I like dwarfs,' said Cumberbatch hurriedly. "'Always have, not that there are any in the watch, mind,' he added after barely a second's thought. "'You learn quick. You'll go a long way in this man's army,' said Cuddy. "'You could have a field marshal's bottom in your napkin any day now. hut, hut." Fifth volunteer so far,' said Colon to Corporal Nobbs, "'as Cuddy and his new recruit pounded off into the darkness.' "'Even the dean at the university tried to join. "'Amazing!' "'Angua looked at Gaspode, who shrugged. "'Detraitus is certainly clubbing him into lane,' said Colon. "'After ten minutes, they're putty in his hands. "'Mind you,' he added, "'after ten minutes, anything's putty in them hands. "'Reminds me of the drill sergeant we had "'when I was first in the army.' "'Tough, was he?' said Nobby, lighting a cigarette. "'Tough!' Tough! Blimey! Thirteen weeks of pure misery, that was. Ten-mile run every morning, up to our necks and mock half the time, and him yelling a blue streak and cussing us every living moment. One time he made me stay up all night cleaning the lavies with a toothbrush. He hits us with a spiky stick to get us out of bed. We had to jump through hoops for that man. We hated his damn guts. We'd have stuck one on him if any of us had had the nerve, but of course none of us did. He put us through three months of living death. But you know, after the passing out parade, us looking at ourselves in all our new uniforms and all, real soldiers at last, seeing what we'd become. Well, we saw him in the bar and, well, I don't mind telling you. The dogs watched Colon wipe away the suspicion of a tear. Me and Tonker Jackson and Hoggy Spuds waited for him in the alley and beat seven kinds of hell out of him. It took three days for my knuckles to heal. Colon blew his nose. (sighs) "'Happy days. Fancy a boil, sweet Nobby? Don't mind if I do, Fred. "'Give one to the little dog,' said Gaspode. Colon did, and then wondered why. "'See,' said Gaspode, crunching it up in his dreadful teeth. "'I'm brilliant. Brilliant!' "'You'd better pray Big Fido doesn't find out,' said Angua. "'Nah, he won't touch me. I worry him. I've got the power.' He scratched an ear vigorously. ''Luke, you don't have to go back in there. We could go and, er...'' Uh... ''No.'' ''Story of my life,'' said Gaspard. ''There's Gaspard. Give him a kick.'' ''I thought you had this big happy family to go back to,'' said Angua, as she pushed open the door. ''Eh? Oh, yes, right,'' said Gaspard hurriedly. ''Yes, but I like my sort of independence. I could stroll back home like a shot any time I wanted.'' Angua bounded up the stairs and clawed open the nearest door. It was Carrot's bedroom. The smell of him, a kind of golden pink colour, filled it from edge to edge. There was a drawing of a dwarf mine carefully pinned to one wall. Another held a large sheet of cheap paper on which had been drawn, in careful pencil line, with many crossings out and smudges, a map of the city. In front of the window, where a conscientious person would put it, to take as much advantage as possible of the available light, so as not to have to waste too many of the city's candles, was a small table. There was some paper on it and a jar of pencils. There was an old chair, too. A piece of paper had been folded up and wedged under a wobbly leg. And that, apart from a clothes chest, was it. It reminded her of Vines's room. This was a place where someone came to sleep, not to live. Angua wondered if there was ever a time when anyone in the watch was ever really off-duty. "'She couldn't imagine Sergeant Colon in civilian clothes. "'When you were a watchman, you were a watchman all the time, "'which was a bit of a bargain for the city, "'since it only paid you to be a watchman for ten hours of every day.' "'All right,' she said. "'I can use a sheet off the bed. You shut your eyes.' "'Why?' said Gaspode. "'For decency's sake.' "'Gaspode looked blank. Then he said, "'Oh, I get it. Yes, I can see your point, definitely.' Dear me, you can't have me looking at naked woman. Oh no, ogling, getting ideas. Deary, deary me, you know what I mean. Can't say I do. Can't say I do. Clothing has never been what you might call a thingy of dog. What's a name? Gaspod scratched his ear. Two metasyntactic variables there. Sorry, it's different with you. You know what I am. Anyway, dogs are naturally naked. So are the humans. Angular changed. "'Gaspode's ear flattened against his head. "'Despite himself, he whimpered. Angua stretched. "'You know the worst bit,' she said, is my hair. "'You can hardly get the tangles out, "'and my feet are covered in mud.' "'She tugged a sheet off the bed "'and draped it around herself as a makeshift toga. "'There,' she said, "'you see worse on the street every day. "'Gaspode, what?' "'You can open your eyes now.' "'Gaspode blinked. Angua in both shapes was okay to look at, but the second or two in between, as the morphic signal hunted between stations, was not a sight you wished to see on a full stomach. I thought you rolled around on the floor grunting and growing hair and stretching, he whimpered. Angu appeared at her hair in the mirror while her night vision lasted. Whatever for? Does all that stuff hurt? It's a bit like a whole body sneeze. You'd think you'd have a comb, wouldn't you? I mean, a comb? Everyone's got a comb. A really big... "'Sneeze? Even a clothesbrush would be something.' They froze as the door creaked open. Carrot walked in. He didn't notice them in the gloom, but trudged to the table. There was a flare and a reek of sulphur as he lit first a match and then a candle. He removed his helmet and then sagged, as if he'd finally allowed a weight to drop on his shoulders. They heard him say, "'It can't be right.' "'What can't?' said Angua. Carrot spun round. "'What are you doing in here?' ''Your uniform got stolen while you were spying in the Assassin's Guild,'' Gaspoed prompted. ''My uniform got stolen,'' said Angua, ''while I was in the Assassin's Guild, uh, spying.'' Carrot was still staring at her. ''There was some old bloke who kept muttering all the time,'' she went on desperately. ''Bugrit Millennium Hen and Shrimp?'' ''Yes, that's right.'' ''Foul old Ron,'' Carrot sighed. ''Probably sold it for a drink.'' "'I know where he lives, though. "'Remind me to go and have a word with him when I've got time.' "'You don't want to ask her what she was wearing when she was in the guild,' "'said Gaspode, who'd crept under the bed. "'Shut up,' said Angua. "'What?' said Carrot. "'I found out about the room,' said Angua quickly. "'Someone called Edward de Eth,' said Carrot, sitting down on the bed. "'The ancient springs went groin, groin, grink. "'How did you know that?' "'I think de Eth stole the gun. I think he killed Bino, but assassins killing without being paid, it's worse than dwarfs and tools, it's worse than clowns and faces, I hear Cruces is really upset, he's got assassins looking for the boy all over the city, oh, well I'd hate to be in Edward's shoes when they find him, I'd hate to be in his shoes now, and I know where they are you see, they're on his poor feet, and they're dead, the assassins have found him then, no, someone else did, and then cuddy and detritus did. If I'm any judge, he's been dead for several days. You see, that can't be right. But I rubbed the beano makeup off and took off the red nose and it was definitely him. And the wig's the right kind of red hair. He must have gone straight to hammerhock. But someone shot at detritus and killed the beggar girl. Yes. Angua sat down beside him. And it couldn't have been Edward. <laughs> "'Carrot undid his breastplate and pulled off his mail shirt. "'So we're looking for someone else. "'A third man. "'But there are no clues. "'There's just some man with a gun somewhere in the city, anywhere. "'And I'm tired.' "'The springs went glink again as Carrot stood up and staggered over to the chair and table. "'He sat down, pulled a piece of paper towards him, inspected a pencil, "'sharpened it on his sword, and after a moment's thought began to write. Angua watched him in silence.' Carrot had a short-sleeved leather vest under his mail. There was a birthmark at the top of his left arm. It was crown-shaped. ''Are you writing it all down like Captain Vimes did?'' she said after a while. ''No.'' ''What are you doing, then?'' ''I'm writing to my mum and dad.'' ''Really? I always write to my mum and dad. I promised them. Anyway, it helps me think. I always write letters home when I'm thinking. My dad sends me lots of good advice, too.'' There was a wooden box in front of Carrot. Letters were stacked in it. Carrot's father had been in the habit of replying to Carrot on the back of Carrot's own letters, because paper was hard to come by at the bottom of the dwarf mine. What kind of good advice? About mining, usually. Moving rocks, you know. Propping and shoring. You can't get things wrong in a mine. You have to do things right. His pencil scritched on the paper. The door was still ajar, but there was a tentative tap on it which said, in a kind of metaphorical morse code, that the tapper could see very well that Carrot was in his room with a scantily clad woman and was trying to knock without actually being heard. Sergeant Colan coughed. The cough had a leer in it. Yes, Sergeant, said Carrot, without looking round. Um, what, what, what do you want me to do next, sir? Send them out in squad, Sergeant. At least one human, one dwarf, and one troll in each. Yes, sir. Uh... ''What'll they be doing, sir?'' ''They'll be being visible, Sergeant.'' ''Right, sir. Uh, sir, one of the volunteers just now, it's Mr. Bleakley, sir, from Elm Street. He's a vampire. Well, technically, but he works up at the slaughterhouse, so it's not really...'' ''Thank him very much and send him home, Sergeant.'' Colon glanced at Angua. ''Yes, sir. Right,'' he said reluctantly. ''But he's not a problem, it's just that he needs these extra homogoblins goblins in his blood...'' ''No!'' ''Right, fine. I'll, uh, I'll tell him to go away, then.'' Colon shut the door. The hinge leered. ''They call you sir,'' said Angua. ''Do you notice that?'' ''I know. It's not right. People ought to think for themselves,'' Captain Vimes said. ''The problem is, people only think for themselves if you tell them to. How do you spell eventuality?'' ''I don't. Okay,'' Carrot still didn't look round. We'll hold the city together through the rest of the night, I think. Everyone's seen sense. No, they haven't, said Angua in the privacy of her own head. They've seen you. It's like hypnotism. People live your vision. You dream just like Big Fido, only he dreamed a nightmare and you dream for everyone. You really think everyone is basically nice. Just for a moment, while they're near you, everyone else believes it too. From somewhere outside came the sound of marching knuckles. Detritus's troop were making another circuit. Oh well, he's got to know sooner or later. Carrot? Hmm? You know, when Cuddy and the Troll and me joined the Watch. Well, you know why it was us three, don't you? Of course, minority group representation, one Troll, one Dwarf, one woman. Ah, Angua hesitated. It was still moonlight outside. She could tell him, run downstairs, change, and be well outside the city by dawn. She'd have to do it. She was an expert at running away from cities. It, um, wasn't exactly like that, she said. You see, there's a lot of undead in the city, and the patrician insisted that... "'Give her a kiss,' said Gaspode from under the bed. Angua froze. Carrot's face took on the usual vaguely puzzled look of someone whose ears have just heard what their brain is programmed to believe doesn't exist.' He began to blush. Gaspode, snapped Angua, dropping into Canine. I know what I'm doing. A man, a woman, it is fate, said Gaspode. Angua stood up. Carrot shot up too, so fast that his chair fell over. I must be going, she said. Um, don't go. Now you just reach out, said Gaspode it didn't never work, Angua told herself. It never does. Werewolves have to hang around with other werewolves. They're the only ones who understand. But, on the other hand, since she'd have to run away anyway, she held up a finger. Just one moment, she said brightly, and in one movement reached under the bed and pulled out Gaspode by the scruff of his neck. You need me, the dog whimpered as he was carried to the door. I mean, what does he know? His idea of a good time is showing you the Colossus of pork. Put me down. Da- the door slammed. Angua leaned on it. It'll end up just like it did in Pseudopolis and Querm. And Angua, said Carrot, she turned. Don't say anything, she said, and it might be all right. After a while, the bed springs went glink. And shortly after that, for Corporal Carrot, the disc world moved, and didn't even bother to stop to cancel the bread and newspapers. Corporal Carrot awoke around 4 a.m., that secret hour known only to the night people, such as criminals, policemen, and other misfits. He lay on his half of the narrow bed and stared at the wall. It had definitely been an interesting night. Although he was indeed simple, he wasn't stupid, and he'd always been aware of what might be called the mechanics... He'd been acquainted with several young ladies, and had taken them on many invigorating walks to see fascinating ironwork and interesting civic buildings, until they'd unaccountably lost interest. He'd patrolled the whore pits often enough, although Mrs. Palm and the Guild of Seamstresses were trying to persuade the patrician to rename the area the Street of Negotiable Affection. But he'd never seen them in relation to himself, had never been quite sure, as it were, where he fitted in. This was probably not something he was going to write to his parents about. They almost certainly knew. He slid out of bed. The room was stifling hot with the curtains drawn. Behind him, he heard Angua roll over into the hollow left by his body. Then, with both hands and considerable vigor, he threw open the curtains and let in the round white light of the full moon. Behind him, he thought he heard Angua sigh in her sleep. There were thunderstorms out on the plain. Carrot could see lightning flashes stitching the horizon, and he could smell rain. But the air of the city was still and baking, all the hotter for the distant prospect of storms. The university's tower of art loomed in front of him. He saw it every day. It dominated half the city. Behind him, the bed went glink. "'I think there's going to be,' he began and turned. As he turned away... He missed the glint of moonlight on metal from the top of the tower. Sergeant Colon sat on the bench outside the baking air of the watchhouse. There was a hammering noise from somewhere inside. Cuddy had come in ten minutes before, with a bag of tools, a couple of helmets, and a determined expression. Colon was damned if he knew what the little devil was working on. He counted again, very slowly, ticking off names on his clipboard. No doubt about it, the night watch had almost twenty members now, maybe more. Detritus had gone critical, and had sworn in a further two men, another troll, and a wooden dummy from outside Cork Socks, Natty Clothing Co. And was the origin, long after the events chronicled here were over, of an Ankh-Morpork folk song scored for tin whistle and nasal passage. As I was walking along Lower Broadway, the recruiting party came picking up people by their ankles and saying they were going to volunteer to join the watch unless they wanted their goo heads kicked in so I went via Peach Pie Street and Holofernes instead, singing To Rely, etc. It never really caught on. If this went on, they'd be able to open up the old watch house near the main gates, just like the old days. He couldn't remember when the watch last had twenty men. It had all seemed a good idea at the time. It was certainly keeping the lid on things, but in the morning the patrician was going to get to hear about it and demand to see the superior officer. Now, Sergeant Colon was not entirely clear in his own mind who was the superior officer at the moment. He felt that it should be either Captain Vimes, or in some way he couldn't quite define Corporal Carrot. But the captain wasn't around, and Corporal Carrot was only a corporal, and Fred Colon had a dreadful apprehension that when Lord Vetinari summoned someone in order to be ironical at them and say things like, who's going to pay their wages, pray, it would be him, Fred Colon, well and truly up the arc without a paddle. They were also running out of ranks. There were only four ranks below the rank of sergeant. Nobby was getting stroppy about anyone else being promoted to corporal, so there was a certain amount of career congestion taking place. Besides, some of the watch had got it into their heads that the way you got promoted was to conscript half a dozen other guards. At Detritus's current rate of progress, he was going to be High Supreme Major General by the end of the month. And what made it all strange was that Carrot was still only a... Colon looked up when he heard the tinkle of broken glass. Something golden and indistinct crashed through an upper window, landed in the shadows, and fled before he could make out what it was. The watchhouse door slammed open, and Carrot emerged, sword in hand. Where did it go? Where did it go? Do you know? What the hell was it? Carrot stopped. Er uh, not sure, he said. Carrot? Sarge? I should put some clothes on if I was you, lad. Carrot stayed, looking into the pre-dawn gloom. "'I mean, I turned around, and there it was, and...' "'He looked down at the sword in his hand "'as if he hadn't realised that he was carrying it. "'Oh, damn,' he said. "'He ran back to his room and grabbed his breeches. "'As he struggled into them, "'he was suddenly aware of a thought in his head, clear as ice. "'You are a pillock. What are you? "'Picked up the sword automatically, didn't you? "'Did it all wrong. "'Now she's run off, and you'll never see her again.' "'He turned. "'A small grey dog was watching him intently from the doorway.' Shock like that, she might never change back again,' said his thoughts. "'Who cares if she's a werewolf? That didn't bother you until you knew. "'Incidentally, any biscuits about your person could be usefully thrown to the small dog in the doorway, "'although, come to think of it, the chances of having a biscuit on you right now are very small, "'so forget you ever thought it. Blimey, you really messed that up, right?' thought Carrot. "'Woof, woof,' said the dog. Carrot's forehead wrinkled. "'It's you, isn't it?' he said, pointing his sword. "'Me? Dogs don't talk,' said Gaspode hurriedly. "'Listen, I should know. I am one.' "'You tell me where she's gone right now, or... "'Yeah, Luke,' said Gaspode gloomily. "'The first thing I remember in my life, right, "'the first thing was being thrown into the river in a sack, with a brick. "'Me? I mean, I had wobbly legs and a humorously inside-out ear. "'I mean, I was fluffy. "'Okay, right, so it was the ankh. "'Okay, so I could walk ashore. "'But that was the start, and it ain't never got much better.' I mean, I walked ashore inside the sack, dragging the brick. It took me three days to chew me way out. Go on, threaten me. Please, said Carrot. Gaspode scratched his ear. Maybe I could track her down, said Gaspode. Given the right, you know, encouragement. He waggled his eyebrows encouragingly. If you find her, I'll give you anything you want, said Carrot. Oh, well, Right. If, right, oh, yes, that's all very well is if. What about something up front? Look at these paws, eh? Wear and tear. And this nose doesn't smell by itself. It's a finely tuned instrument. If you don't start looking right away, said Carrot, I will personally... He hesitated. He'd never been cruel to an animal in his life. I'll turn the matter over to Corporal Nobbs, he said. That's what I like, said Gaspoed bitterly. Incentive. He pressed his blotchy nose to the ground. It was all show, anyway. Anguas scent hung in the air like a rainbow. You can really talk, said Carrot. Gaspode rolled his eyes. "Course not, he said. The figure had reached the top of the tower. Lamps and candles were alight all over the city. It was spread out below him. Ten thousand little earthbound stars, and he could turn off anyone he wanted just like that. It was like being a god. It was amazing how sounds were so audible up here. It was like being a god. He could hear the howl of dogs, the sound of voices. Occasionally one would be louder than the rest, rising up into the night sky. This was power. The power he had below, the power to say, do this, do that. That was just something human. But this, this was like being a god. He pulled the gun into position, clicked a rack of six bullets into position, and sighted at random on a light. And then another one. And another one. He really shouldn't have let it shoot that beggar girl. That wasn't the plan. Guild leaders. That was poor little Edward's plan. Guild leaders to start with. Leave the city leaderless and in turmoil, and then confront his silly candidate and say, go forth and rule, it is your destiny. That was an old disease, that kind of thinking. You caught it from crowns and silly stories. You believed, (laughs) you believed that some trick like like pulling a sword from a stone was somehow a qualification for kingly office. A sword from a stone. The gon was more magical than that. He lay down, stroked the gon, and waited. Day broke. Ah, never touched nothing,' said Coalface, and turned over on his slab. Detritus hit him over the head with his club. "'Up you get, soldiers. Hand off rock and on with sock.' It another beautiful day in a watch. Lance Constable Coalface on your feet, you horrible little man. Twenty minutes later, a bleary-eyed Sergeant Colon surveyed the troops. They were slumped on the benches, except for Acting Constable Detritus, who was sitting bolt upright with an air of official helpfulness. Right, men, Colon began. Now, as you... You men, you listen up good right now, Detritus boomed. Thank you, Acting Constable Detritus, said Colon wearily. "'Captain Vimes is getting married today. "'We're going to provide a guard of honor. "'That's what we always used to do in the old days "'when a watchman got wed. "'So I want helmets and breastplates bright and shiny "'and cohorts gleaming, not a speck of muck. Uh, "'Where's Corporal Nobbs?' "'There was a dink as Acting Constable Detritus's hand "'bounced off his new helmet. "'Hasn't been seen for hours, sir,' he reported. "'Colon rolled his eyes. "'And some of you will... "'Where's Lance Constable Angua?' Dink. No one's seen her since last night, sir. All right. We got through the night. We're going to get through the day. Corporal Carrot says we're to look sharp. Dink. Yes, sir. Acting Constable Detritus. Sir. What's that you've got on your head? Dink. Acting Constable Cuddy made it for me, sir. Special clockwork thinking helmet. Cuddy coughed. These big bits are cooling fins, see? painted black. I glommed a clockwork engine of my cousin, and this fan here blows the air over. He stopped when he saw Colon's expression. That's what you've been working on all night, is it? Yes, because I reckon troll brains get too war. The sergeant waved him into silence. So we've got a clockwork soldier here, have we? said Colon. We're a real model army, we are. Gaspode was geographically embarrassed. He knew where he was, more or less. He was somewhere beyond the shades, in the network of dock basins and cattle yards. Even though he thought of the whole city as belonging to him, this wasn't his territory. There were rats here almost as big as he was, and he was basically a sort of terrier shape, and ankh more pork rats were intelligent enough to recognise it. He'd also been kicked by two horses and almost run over by a cart, and he'd lost the scent. She'd doubled back and forth and used rooftops and crossed the river a few times. Werewolves were instinctively good at avoiding pursuit. After all, the surviving ones were descendants of those who could outrun an angry mob. Those who couldn't outwit a mob never had descendants, or even graves. Several times the scent petered out at a wall or a low-roofed hut, and Gaspode would limp around in circles until he found it again. Random thoughts wavered in his schizophrenic doggy mind. "'Clever dog saves the day,' he muttered. "'Everyone says good doggy. No, they don't. I'm only doing it because I was threatened.' The marvellous nose. I didn't want to do this. You shall have a bone. I'm just flotsam on the sea of life, me. Who's a good boy? Shut up. The sun toiled up in the sky. Down below, Gaspode toiled on. Willikins opened the curtains. Sunlight poured in. Vimes groaned and sat up slowly in what remained of his bed. Good grief, bad, he mumbled. What sort of tard do you call this? "'Almost nine in the morning, sir,' said the butler. "'Nine in the morning? What sort of time is that to get up? "'I don't normally get up until the afternoon's got the shine ward off.' "'But, sir, is not at work any more, sir?' "'Vimes looked down at the tangle of sheets and blankets. "'They were wrapped around his legs and knotted together. "'Then he remembered the dream. "'He'd been walking around the city. "'Well, maybe not so much a dream as a memory. "'After all, he walked the city every night.' Some part of him wasn't giving up. Some part of Vimes was learning to be a civilian, but an old part was marching, no, proceeding, to a different beat. He'd thought the place seemed deserted and harder to walk through than usual. "'Does sir wish me to shave him, or will sir do it himself?' "'I'll get nervous if people hold blades near my face,' said Vimes, "'but if you harness the horse and cart, "'I'll try and get to the other end of the bathroom.' "'Very amusing, sir,' (laughs) Vimes had another bath, just for the novelty of it. He was aware from a general background noise that the mansion was busily humming towards W hour. Lady Sybil was devoting to her wedding all the directness of thought she'd normally apply to breeding out a tendency towards floppy ears in swamp dragons. Half a dozen cooks had been busy in the kitchens for three days. They were roasting a whole ox and doing amazing stuff with rare fruit. Hitherto, Sam Vimes' idea of a good meal was liver without tubes. Haute cuisine had been bits of cheese on sticks stuck into half a grapefruit. He was vaguely aware that prospective grooms were not supposed to see putative brides on the morning of the wedding, possibly in case they took to their heels. That was unfortunate. He'd have liked to have talked to someone. If he could talk to someone, it might all make sense. He picked up the razor and looked in the mirror at the face of Captain Samuel Vimes. Colon saluted and then peered at Carrot. "'You all right, sir?' You look like you could do with some sleep. Ten o'clock, or various attempts thereof, began to boom around the city. Carrot turned away from the window. I've been out looking, he said. Three more recruits this morning already, said Colon. They'd asked to join Mr. Carrot's army. He was slightly worried about that. Good. Detraeus has given them very basic training, said Colon. It works too. After an hour of him shouting in their ear, they do anything I tell them. I want all the men we can spare up on the rooftops between the palace and the university, said Carrot. There's assassins up there already, said Colon, and the thieves' guilds have got men up there too. They're thieves and assassins, we're not. Make sure someone's up on the Tower of Art as well. Sir? Yes, Sergeant? We've been talking, me and the lads, and, uh, well, yes. It'd save a lot of trouble if we went to the wizards and asked them. Captain Vimes never had any truck with magic. No, but no magic, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Guard of Honor all sorted out? Yes, sir. Their cohorts are all gleaming in purple and gold, sir. Really? Very important, sir. Good, clean cohorts. Frighten the life out of the enemy. Good. But I can't find Corporal Nobbs, sir. Is that a problem? Well, it means the Honor Guard will be a bit smarter, sir. I've sent him on a special errand. Uh... Can't find Lance Constable Angua either. Sergeant, Colon braced himself. Outside, the bells were dying away. Did you know she was a werewolf? Um, Captain Vimes kind of hinted, sir. How did he hint? Colon took a step back. He sort of said, Fred, she's a damn werewolf. I don't like it any more than you do, but Veterinari says we've got to take one of them as well, and a werewolf's better than a vampire or a zombie, and that's all there is to it. That's what he hinted. I see. Uh, sorry about that, sir. Just let's get through the day, Fred, that's all. A bing, a bing, a bing, a bing bong. We never even presented the captain with his watch, said Carrot, taking it out of his pocket. He must have gone off thinking we didn't care. He was probably looking forward to getting a watch. I know it always used to be the tradition. It's been a busy few days, sir. Anyway, we can give it to him after the wedding. Carrot slipped the watch back into its bag. I suppose so. Well, let's get organised, Sergeant. Corporal Nobs toiled through the darkness under the city. His eyes had got accustomed to the gloom now. He was dying for a smoke, but Carrot had warned him about that. Just take the sack, follow the trail, bring back the body, and don't nick any jewellery. People were already filing into the Great Hall of Unseen University. Vimes had been firm about this. It was the only thing he'd held out for. He wasn't exactly an atheist because atheism was a non-survival trait on a world with several thousand gods. He just didn't like any of them very much and didn't see what business it was of theirs that he was getting married. He'd turned down any of the temples and churches, but the Great Hall had a sufficiently churchy look, which is what people always feel is mandatory on these occasions. It's not exactly essential for any gods to drop in, but they should feel at home if they do. Vimes strolled down there early because there's nothing more useless in the world than a groom just before the wedding. Interchangeable emmers had taken over the house. There were already a couple of ushers in place, ready to ask guests whose side they were on. And there were a number of senior wizards hanging around. They were automatically guests at such a society wedding, and certainly at the reception afterwards. Probably one roast ox wouldn't be enough. Despite his deep distrust of magic, he quite liked the wizards. They didn't cause trouble. At least they didn't cause his kind of trouble. "'True, occasionally they fractured the time-space continuum "'or took the canoe of reality too close to the white waters of chaos, "'but they never broke the actual law. "'Good morning, Arch-Chancellor,' he said. "'Arch-Chancellor Mustram Ridcully, "'supreme leader of all the wizards in Ark whenever they could be bothered, "'gave him a cheery nod. "'Um, g- good morning, Captain,' he said. "'I must say, you've got a nice day for it.' "'Ha, ha, 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 a nice day for it!' leered the bursa. "'Oh, dear,' said Ridcully. "'He's off again. Can't understand the man. Anyone got the dried frog pills?' It was a complete mystery to Mustram Ridcully, a man designed by nature to live outdoors and happily slaughter anything that coughed in the bushes. Why the bursa, a man designed by nature to sit in a small room somewhere adding up figures, was so nervous. He tried all sorts of things to, as he put it, buck him up. These included practical jokes, surprise early morning runs, and leaping out at him from behind doors while wearing Willie the Vampire masks in order, he said, to take him out of himself. The service itself was going to be performed by the dean, who had carefully made one up. There was no official civil marriage service in Aunt morpork other than something approximating to, Oh, all right then, if you really must. He nodded enthusiastically at Vimes. We've cleaned our organ, especially for the occasion, he said. Ha-ha-ha, organ, said the bursar. And a mighty one it is, as organs go, Ridcully stopped and signaled to a couple of student wizards. Just take the bursar away and make him lie down for a while, will you, he said. I think someone's been feeding him meat again. There was a hiss from the far end of the great hall, and then a strangled squeak. Vimes stared at the monstrous array of pipes. "'Got eight students pumping the bellows,' said Ridcully, to a background of wheezes. "'It's got three keyboards and a hundred extra knobs, including twelve with question mark on them.' "'Sounds impossible for a man to play,' said Vimes politely. "'Ah, we had a stroke of luck there.' "'There was a moment of sound so loud that the oral nerves shut down.' When they opened again, somewhere around the pain threshold, they could just make out the opening and extremely bent bars of Fondell's Wedding March, being played with gusto by someone who discovered that the instrument didn't just have three keyboards, but a whole range of special acoustic effects, ranging from flatulence to humorous chicken squawk. The occasional woo of appreciation could be heard amidst the sonic explosion. Somewhere under the table, Vimes screamed at Ridcully, Amazing! Who built it? I don't know, but it's got the name B.S. Johnson on the keyboard cover. There was a descending wail, one last hurdy-gurdy effect, and then silence. Twenty minutes those lads were pumping up the reservoirs, said Ridcully, dusting himself off as he stood up. Go easy on the uh, Vox Day. stop, there's a good chap. Ooh... The Arch-Chancellor turned back to Vimes, who was wearing the standard waxen prenuptial grimace. The hall was filling up quite well now. I am I, not an expert on this um, stuff, he said, but you, you've got the ring, have you? Yes. Who's um, giving away the bride? Her uncle Lofthouse. He's a bit gaga, but she insisted. And the uh, best man? What? "'The best man, you know, he hands you the uh, ring "'and has to marry the bride if you run away, and so on. (laughs) "'The dean's been reading up on it, haven't you, dean?' "'Oh, yes,' said the dean, who'd spent all the previous day "'with Lady Deirdre Wagon's book of etiquette. "'She's got to marry someone once she's turned up. "'You can't have unmarried brides flapping around the place "'being a danger to society.' "'I completely forgot about a best man,' said Vimes.' "'The librarian, who'd given up on the organ "'until it had some more puff, brightened up. "'Ook! "'Well, um, uh, go and find one,' said Ridcully. "'You've got nearly uh, half an hour.' "'It's not as easy as that, is it? "'They don't grow on trees. "'Ook! "'I can't think who to ask. "'Ook!' "'The librarian liked being best man. "'You were allowed to kiss bridesmaids, "'and they weren't allowed to run away. "'He was really disappointed when Vimes ignored him.' Acting Constable Cuddy climbed laboriously up the steps inside the Tower of Art, grumbling to himself. He knew he couldn't complain. They'd drawn lots because Carrot said, "'You shouldn't ask the men to do anything you wouldn't do yourself.' And he'd drawn the short straw, ha-ha, which meant the tallest building. That meant if there was any trouble, he'd miss it. He paid no attention to the thin rope dangling from the trapdoor far above. Even if he'd thought about it, so what? It was just a rope?' Gaspode looked up into the shadows. There was a growl from somewhere in the darkness. It was no ordinary dog growl. Early man had heard sounds like that in deep caves. Gaspode sat down, his tail thumped uncertainly. "'Knew I'd find you sooner or later,' he said. "'The old nose, eh? Finest instrument known to dog.' There was another growl. Gaspode whimpered a bit. "'The thing is,' he said, "'the thing is, the actual thing is, see,' The thing what I've been sent to do. Late man heard sounds like that too, just before he became late. I can see you don't uh, want to talk right now, said Gaspode, but the thing is now, I know what you're thinking. Is this Gaspode obeying orders from a human? Gaspode looked conspiratorially over his shoulder, as if there could be anything worse than what was in front of him. That's the old mess about being a dog, see? he said. That's the thing what Big Fido can't get his mind around, see? You looked at the dogs in the guild, right? You heard a mowl. Oh, yes, death to the humans. All right, but under all that there's the fear. There's the voice saying, bad dog. And it don't come from anywhere but inside, right from inside the bones, because humans made dogs. I knows this. I wish I didn't, but there it is. That's the power knowing. I've read books, I have. Well, Chewed Boots. The darkness was silent. And you're a wolf and a human at the same time, right? Tricky, that, I can see that. Bit of a dichotomy sort of thing. Makes you kind of like a dog, because that's what a dog is, really. Half a wolf and half a human. You were right about that. We've even got names. <laughs> so our bodies tell us one thing, our heads tell us another. It's a dog's life, being a dog. I bet you can't run away from him. Not really. He's your master. The darkness was more silent. Gaspard thought he heard movement. He wants you to come back. The thing is, if he finds you, that's it. He'll speak and you'll have to obey. But if he goes back of your own accord, then it's your decision. You'd be happier as a human. I mean, what can I offer you except rats and a choice of fleas? I mean, I don't know. I don't see it as much of a problem. You just have to stay indoors six or seven nights every month. Angua howled. The hairs that still remained on Gaspode's back stood on end. He tried to remember which was his jugular vein. I don't want to have to come in there and get you, he said. Truth rang on every word. The thing is, the actual thing is. I will, though, he added, trembling. It's a bugger being a dog. He thought some more inside. Oh, I remember. It's the one in the throat, he said. Vimes stepped out into the sunlight, except that there wasn't much of it. Clouds were blowing in from the hub. And... Detritus? Dink. Captain Vames, sir! Who are all these people? Watchmen, sir! Vimes stared in puzzlement at the half-dozen assorted guards. Who are you? Lance Constable Hrolf Pyjama, sir. And... Coalface? I never done nothing! I never done nothing, Sir! yelled Detritus. Coalface? In the watch? Dink! Corporal Carrot says there's some good buried somewhere in everyone, said Detritus. And what's your job, Detritus? Dink! Engineer in charge of deep mining operations, sir! Vimes scratched his head. That was very nearly a joke, wasn't it, he said. "'It this new helmet my mate Cuddy made me, sir. (laughs) "'People can't say there goes stupid troll. "'They have to say, who that good-looking military troll there? "'Acting constable already. "'Great future behind him. "'He got destiny written all over him like writing.' "'Vimes digested this. "'Detritus beamed at him. "'And where is Sergeant Cowlod?' "'Here, Captain Vimes. "'I need a best man, Fred.' "'Right, sir. I'll get Corporal Carrot. He's just checking the roofs. "'Fred, I've known you more than twenty years. "'Good grief, all you have to do is stand there. "'Fred, you're good at that.' "'Carrot appeared at the trot. "'Sorry I'm late, Captain Vimes. Um, "'We really wanted this to be a surprise.' "'What? What sort of surprise?' "'Carrot fished in his pouch. "'Well, Captain, on behalf of the watch, that is, uh, most of the watch... "'Hold on a minute,' said Colon. "'Here comes his lordship.' The clop of hooves and the rattle of harness signalled the approach of Lord Vetinari's carriage. Carrot glanced around at it, then he looked at it again and looked up. There was a glint of metal on the roof of the tower. ''Sergeant, who's on the tower?'' he said. ''Cuddy, sir.'' ''Oh, right,'' he coughed. ''Anyway, Captain, we all clubbed together and...'' He paused. ''Acting Constable Cuddy, right?'' ''Yeah, he's reliable.'' The patrician's carriage was halfway towards Sartor Square now. Carrot could see the thin, dark figure in the back seat. He glanced up at the great grey bulk of the tower. He started a run. "'What's up?' said Colon. Vimes started a run too. Detritus's knuckles hit the ground as he swung after the others. And then it hit Colon, a sort of frantic tingle, as though someone had blown on his naked brain. "'Oh, shit,' he said under his breath. Claws scrabbled on the dirt.' "'He drew his sword. "'What did you expect? "'One minute the lad is on top of the world, "'he's got a whole new interest in his life, "'something probably even better than going for walks, "'and then he turns round and what he sees is, "'well, basically, a wolf. "'You could have hinted. "'It's that time of the month, that sort of thing. "'You can't blame him for being surprised, really.' gaspo got to his feet. "'Now, are you going to come out, "'or have I got to come in there and be brutally savaged?' Lord Vetinari stood up as he saw the watch running towards him. That was why the first shot went through his thigh instead of his chest. Then Carrot cleared the door of the carriage and flung himself across the man, which is why the next shot went through Carrot. Angua slunk out. Gaspode relaxed slightly. "'I can't go back,' said Angua. "'I—' She froze. Her ears twitched. "'What? What? "'He's been hurt.' Angua sprang away. "'Here, wait for me!' barked Gaspode. "'That's the shades that way!' A third shot knocked a chip out of Detritus, who slammed into the carriage, knocking it on its side and severing the traces. The horses scrambled away. The coachman had already made a lightning comparison between current job conditions and his rates of pay, and had vanished into the crowd. Vimes slid to a halt behind the overturned carriage. Another shot spanged off the cobbles near his arm. "'Detritus?' "'Sir!' "'How are you?' "'Oozing a bit, sir.' "'The shot hit the carriage wheel above Vimes's head, making it spin. "'Carrot?' "'Right through my shoulder, sir.' "'Vimes eased himself along on his elbows. "'Good morning, your lordship,' he said manically. "'He leaned back and pulled out a mangled cigar. "'Got a light?' "'The patrician opened his eyes. "'Ah, Captain Vimes. "'And what happens now?' "'Vimes grinned. "'Funny, he thought, how I never feel really alive until someone tries to kill me. "'That's when you notice that the sky is blue.' "'Actually not very blue right now. "'There's big clouds up there, but I'm noticing them.' "'We wait for one more shot,' he said, "'and then we run for proper cover.' "'I appear to be losing a lot of blood,' said Lord Veterinary. "'Who would have thought you had it in you?' said Vimes, "'with the frankness of those probably about to die. "'What about you, Carrot?' "'I can move my hand. "'Hurts like heck, sir, but you look worse.' "'Vimes looked down.' There was blood all over his coat. A bit of stone must have caught me, he said. I didn't even feel it. He tried to form a mental picture of the gun: Six tubes, all in a line, each one with its lead slug and charge of number one powder, delivered into the gun like crossbow bolts. He wondered how long it had take to put in another six. But we've got him where we want him. There's only one way down out of the tower. Yep, we might be sitting out here in the open with him shooting lead pellets at us but we've got him just where we want him. Wheezing and farting nervously, Gaspode moved at a shambling run through the shades and saw, with a heart that sank even further, a knot of dogs ahead of him. He pushed and squirmed through the tangle of legs. Angua was at bay in a ring of teeth. The barking stopped, a couple of large dogs moved aside, and Big Fido stepped delicately forward. So... He said, what we have here is not a dog at all. A spy, perhaps. There's always an enemy. Everywhere. They look like dogs, but inside they're not dogs. What were you doing? Angua growled. Oh, law," thought Gaspode. She could probably take down a few of them, but these are street dogs. He wriggled under a couple of bodies and emerged in the circle. Big Fido turned his red-eyed gaze on him. And Gaspode, too, said the poodle. I might have known. You leave her alone, said Gaspode. Oh, you'll fight us all for her, will you, said Big Fido. I got the power, said Gaspode. You know that. I'll do it. I'll use it. There's no time for this, snarled Angua. You won't do it, said Big Fido. I'll do it. Every dog's paw will be turned against you. "'I got the power, me. You back off all of you.' "'What power?' said Butch. He was drooling. "'Big Fido knows,' said Gaspode. "'He's studded. Now me and her are going to walk out of here, right? Nice and slow.' The dogs looked at Big Fido. "'Get them,' he said. Angua bared her teeth. The dogs hesitated. "'A wolf's got a jaw four times stronger than any dog,' said Gaspode. "'And that's just an ordinary wolf.' ''What are you all?'' snapped Big Fido. ''You're the pack. No mercy. Get them!'' ''But a pack doesn't act like that,'' Angua had said. ''A pack is an association of free individuals. ''A pack doesn't leap because it's told. A pack leaps because every individual all at once decides to leap.'' A couple of the bigger dogs crouched. Angua moved her head from side to side, waiting for the first assault. A dog scraped the ground with its paw. Gaspode took a deep breath and adjusted his jaw. Dogs leapt. Sit, said Gaspode, impassable human. The command bounced back and forth around the alley, and 50% of the animals obeyed. In most cases, it was the hind 50%. Dogs in mid-spring found their treacherous legs coiling under them. Bad dog! And this was followed by an overpowering sense of racial shame that made them cringe automatically. A bad move in mid-air. Gaspode glanced up at Angua as bewildered dogs reigned around them. "'I said I got the power, didn't I?' he said. "'Now, run!' Dogs are not like cats, who amusingly tolerate humans only until someone comes up with a tin opener that can be operated with a paw. Men made dogs. They took wolves and gave them human things, unnecessary intelligence, names, a desire to belong, and a twitching inferiority complex.' All dogs dream wolf dreams, and know they're dreaming of biting their maker. Every dog knows deep in his heart that he is a bad dog. But Big Fido's furious yapping broke the spell. Get them! Angua galloped over the cobbles. There was a cart at the other end of the alley, and beyond the cart a wall. Not that way, whined Gaspode. Dogs were piling along behind them. Angua leapt onto the cart. I can't get up there, said Gaspode. Not with my leg. She jumped down, picked him up by the scruff of his neck, and leapt back. There was a shed roof behind the cart, a ledge above that, and a few tiles slid under her paws and tumbled into the alley. A house. I feel sick. Shut up. Angua ran along the ridge of the roof and jumped the alley on the other side, landing heavily in some ancient thatch. Oh, shut up. But the dogs were following them. It wasn't as though the alleys of the Shades were very wide. Another narrow alley passed below. Gaspode swung perilously from the werewolf's jaws. They're still behind us. Gaspode shut his eyes as Angua bunched her muscles. Oh no, not treacle mine road. There was a burst of acceleration followed by a moment of calmness. Gaspode shut his eyes. Angua landed. Her paws scrabbled on the wet roof for a moment. Slates cascaded off into the street and then she was bounding up to the ridge. You can put me down right now said Gaspode. Right now, this minute. Here they come. The leading dogs arrived on the opposite roof, saw the gap, and tried to turn. Claws slid on the tiles. Angua turned, fighting for breath. She'd tried to avoid breathing during the first mad dash. She'd have breathed Gaspode. They heard Big Fido's irate yapping. Cowards! That's not twenty feet across. That's nothing to a wolf. The dogs measured the distance doubtfully. Sometimes a dog has to get right down and ask himself, What species am I? It's easy. I'll show you. Look. Big Fido ran back a little way, paused, turned, ran, and leapt. There was hardly a curve to the trajectory. The little poodle accelerated out into space, powered less by muscles than by whatever it was that burned in his soul. His forepaws touched the slates, clawed for a moment on the slick surface, and found no hold. In silence, he skidded backwards down the roof, over the edge, and hung. He turned his eyes upwards to the dog that was gripping him. "'Gaspode, is that you?' "'Yes,' said Gaspode, his mouth full. "'There was hardly any weight to the poodle, "'but then there was hardly any weight to Gaspode. "'He darted forward and braced his legs to take the strain, "'but there was nothing much to brace them against. "'He slid down inexorably until his front legs were in the gutter, "'which began to creak. "'Gaspode had an amazingly clear view of the street three stories down. "'Oh, hell,' said Gaspode. "'Jaws gripped his tail.' ''Let him go,'' said Angua indistinctly. Gaspo tried to shake his head. ''Stop struggling,'' he said out of the corner of his mouth. ''Brave dog faves the Jay, valiant hound in wolf-drop wefku. no!'' The gutter creaked again. ''It's going to go,'' he thought. ''Story of my life.'' Big Fido struggled around. ''What are you holding me up by?'' collar," said Gaspo through his teeth. ''What? To hell with that!'' The poodle tried to twist, flailing viciously at the air. Stop it, you daft bugger. You'll have a fall off, Gaspode growled. On the opposite roof, the dog pack watched in horror. The gutter creaked again. Anguas' claws scored white lines on the slate. Big Fido wrenched and spun, fighting the grip of the collar, which finally snapped. The dog turned in the air, hanging for a moment before gravity took hold. Free. And then He fell. Gaspode shot backwards as Angua's paws slipped from under her and landed further up the roof, legs spinning. Both of them made it to the crest and hung there, panting. Then Angua bounded away, clearing the next alley before Gaspode had stopped seeing a red mist in front of his eyes. He spat out Big Fido's collar, which slid down the roof and vanished over the edge. "'Oh, thank you,' he shouted. "'Thank you very much. "'Yes, leave me here, that's right, me with only three good legs.' ''Don't you worry about me. If I'm lucky, I'll fall off before I starve. Oh, yes, story of my life. You and me, kid, together, we could have made it.'' He turned and looked at the dogs lining the roofs on the other side of the street. ''You lot go home.'' ''Bad dog,'' he barked. He slithered down the other side of the roof. There was an alley there, but it was a sheer drop. He crept along the roof to the adjoining building, but there was no way down. There was a balcony a story below, though. ''Lateral thinking.'' he muttered. That's the stuff. Now, a wolf, your basic wolf, he'd jump, and if he couldn't jump, he'd be stuck. Whereas me, on account of superior intelligence, can assess the old what's name and arrive at a solution through application of mental processes. He nudged the gargoyle, squatting on the angle of the gutter. (laughs) If you don't help me down to that balcony, I'll whittle in your ear. "'Big Fido!' "'Yes?' "'Heel!' There were eventually two theories about the end of Big Fido. The one put forward by the dog Gaspode, based on observational evidence, was that his remains were picked up by foul old Ron and sold within five minutes to a furrier, and that Big Fido eventually saw the light of day again as a set of earmuffs and a pair of fleecy gloves. The one believed by every other dog, based on what might tentatively be called the truth of the heart.' was that he survived his fall, fled the city, and eventually led a huge pack of mountain wolves who nightly struck terror into isolated farmsteads. It made digging in the middens and hanging around back doors for scraps seem, well, more bearable. They were, after all, only doing it until Big Fido came back. His collar was kept in a secret place and visited regularly by dogs until they forgot about it. Sergeant Colon pushed open the door with the end of his pike. The tower had floors a long time ago. Now it was hollow all the way up, crisscrossed by golden shafts of light from ancient window embrasures. One of them, filled with glittering motes of dust, lanced down on what not long before had been acting Constable Cuddy. Colon gave the body a cautious prod. It didn't move. Nothing looked like that should move. A twisted axe lay beside it. Oh no, he breathed. There was a thin rope, the sort the assassins used, hanging down from the heights. It was twitching. Colon looked up at the haze and drew his sword. He could see all the way to the top, and there was no one on the rope, which meant... He didn't even look around, which saved his life. His dive for the floor and the explosion of the gun behind him happened at exactly the same time. He swore afterwards that he felt the wind of the slug as it passed over his head. Then a figure stepped through the smoke and hit him very hard before escaping through the open door into the rain. Acting Constable Cuddy. Cuddy brushed himself off. Oh, he said, I see. I didn't think I was going to survive that, not after the first hundred feet. You were correct. The unreal world of the living was already fading, but Cuddy glared at the twisted remains of his axe. It seemed to worry him far more than the twisted remains of Cuddy. And will you look at that, he said. My dad made that axe for me. A fine weapon to take into the afterlife, I don't think. Is that some kind of burial custom? Don't you know? You are death, aren't you? That doesn't mean I have to know about burial customs. Generally, I meet people before they're buried. The ones I meet after they've been buried tend to be a bit overexcited and disinclined to discuss things. Cuddy folded his arms. If I'm not going to be properly buried, he said, I ain't going. My tortured soul will walk the world in torment. It doesn't have to. It can if it wants to, snapped the ghost of Cuddy. End of CD 8